This is Crime Connections, and we're your host. I'm Jackie. And I'm Leah. In the winter of 1993, as the superstorm blanketed the Midwest, Grand Rapids, Michigan, bore witness to not only the onslaught of multiple feet of snow, but also the chilling series of disappearances and murders among its residents that would continue to haunt the city for another three years. At the time, Grand Rapids had a population of about 189,000 people, which is a pretty good size city. Yeah, that's a good size. I think that's about the same size as Toledo, Okay, if I remember correctly. So that can give you a little gist of mm-hmm. like how big it is. Now, on average, approximately 2,300 people go missing a year, which is about six people a day nationwide. Goodness. So then between the years of 1993 to 1996, 17 women were reported missing in the Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Which is why I brought up the nationwide average because mm-hmm. i think that's absolutely crazy for a town to have 17 in a practically a four-year span yeah that's averaging four women a year that's just a lot mm-hmm. and that's an, that's not everyone that was missing just mm-hmm. in general for 17 of them were women which is just crazy so, so among these 17 women they were found either murdered alongside the road or have never heard or been seen since Michigan is ranked number seven in the most reported missing persons to date as of 2023, which is pretty freaking high because to think of the size of California, New York, those are huge. Well, and out of 50 states, you're you're in the top 10. Yeah, that's that's not good. Mm -mm. But I think it's because Detroit and Detroit with their car shows, which Mm -hmm. car shows is a lot of people are kidnapped in sex trafficking. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you... We've always heard, like, living in Toledo, how bad sex trafficking is because mm-hmm. we're not that far from being able to just go cross over in Canada. Yes. It's not that far. Yes. So I think that might have something to do with it. Yeah. And most of the victims I will be talking about today struggled with some sort of addiction and did sex work to survive, which, unfortunately, we all know is a very dangerous profession mm-hmm. and leads to sinister things, unfortunately. Yeah. So, starting off on December 12th, 1993, Linda McHugh, a 29-year-old single mother, made preparations for a night out. As she readied herself, she reassured her younger sister, Norma, with a simple exchange. Linda mentioned, my friends are coming to get me, and then Norma expressed concern, and Linda then replied, I'll be okay, I love you, Norm, I'll see you later. Tragically, Linda's assurance proved to be the last interaction between the sisters, Early the following morning, Linda disappeared without a trace, and to this day, no one has seen or heard from her. That's so sad. So later, it came out that according to a police report, Linda's boyfriend reported that she had called him in a distressed state, crying between 3 to 3.30 a.m. on December the 13th. She was seeking solace, so she requested him to come pick pick her up at the Bottle House, which was a party store located on Division Avenue, south of Burton Street. Now, I'm gonna say street names, Mm-hmm. purely not so that you know where it is because frankly i don't know where these places are but you'll hear repeatedly these street names okay are similar okay so don't when i say these street names don't be like well i don't there's a re- <laughs> i have no idea where that is because right. i also don't know where it is i mean i i've googled it since but you know what i mean so the officer's report detailed that he as in the boyfriend had said that he went down to get her and she was not there he looked around but could not locate her so 
that was the last contact anyone actually had with her was that 333 3 a.m. 3:30 time which makes me wonder technically was it then December 14th well no so December 12th she said goodbye to her oh, sister oh okay yeah so, so it would, would have be been the 13th, the 13th it would have been like the early morning of okay, the 13th yeah. but that's distressing to get mm-hmm. a phone call that your girlfriend wants you to come get her and then you get there and she's, she's nowhere to be found right and she had a she had a child that's just yeah and uh, and it seemed like she lived at home with her family and so her little sister and yeah all that. and her little sister's probably so worried mm-hmm. linda's struggle with alcohol had been a long-standing battle in her life mm-hmm. stemming back to her early teens as a means to cope with the abuse she endured during her upbringing so her home life wasn't the best so maybe her sister lived with her and like yeah maybe they lived together yeah and despite these challenges, Linda did manage to graduate from high school. She pursued business courses and held a job. She also became a loving mother to a baby girl whom she adored. However, by her late 20s, Linda's life took a darker turn, marked by a crack addiction as disclosed by, disclosed by her siblings. To finance this destructive habit, Linda turned to sex work, a path that would ultimately contribute to the mysterious circumstances surrounding her disappearance. That's so sad. Yes. You know, I will be mentioning a lot. This was around the time Grand Rapids mm-hmm. cocaine yeah. like blew up there yep. and everyone, unfortunately, was doing it and getting addicted to other drugs due to that. So, in a chilling reoccurrence just three weeks after Linda's disappearance in December 1993, another tragedy unfolded. Lisa Otberg, 23, vanished from view around 4.30 a.m. on January 2, 1994. According to police reports, she was last seen entering a vehicle at Division Avenue and Cottage Grove Street, approximately a mile north of the party store where Linda's boyfriend had sought out to see where she was, but she was nowhere to be found. Mirroring Linda's harrowing struggles, Lisa found herself captured in the grip of the crack cocaine epidemic. Three months later, on March 28, 1994, a grandma walking home in Muskegon made a grim discovery. At an intersection, she spotted feet protruding from a bush, and tragically, the police were able to identify the lifeless body as Lisa. She was found naked and had fallen victim to strangulation, adding another layer to the horrors in the city unfolding. Gosh, that's so sad. A lot of these towns are surrounding Grand Rapids, so there's Grand Rapids and Muskegon are not that far from each other. So following Lisa's tragic fate, a somber eight-month interlude elapsed before the discovery of yet another victim. On November 6, 1994, Robert Hunter stumbled upon the remains of a woman initially unknown in a ditch situated between Coppersville and Grand Rapids. Despite an autopsy failing to pinpoint the cause of death due to her mm-hmm. decomposition, yeah. it was determined that she likely had been murdered in the spring or summer of 94. So for decades, the unidentified remains were referred to only as Matilda, However, a breakthrough occurred in 2022 when genetic genealogy unveiled her true identity as Shelley Christian from Minnesota. Oh, wow. Yes. I mean, it's not like super far or anything, but still. It's not out of state. Yeah. So Shelley Christian was 29 years old at the time she was last seen by her sister in October of 93. Shana Christian, her sister, is left bewildered as to how and why Shelley found herself in West Michigan. Hmm. Shelley's journey was mirrored by a protracted battle with addiction stemming from pain pills that were prescribed during multiple knee surgeries in her teenage years. 
Shayna, her sister, speculates that that Shelly may have engaged in sex work in Grand Rapids, drawing the attention to a clue found near Shelly's remains when she was found. So there was a blue high heel, which there's actually pictures online of, and Shelly was very known to be a very Mm. relaxed person. She never wore high heels barely knew how to walk in them so that would indicate that Shelly was working yeah is what her sister's mindset was going to yeah so that does make sense it would make sense and she was also around the other girls that were found Mm -hmm. so far the haunting sequence continues with the disappearance of 37 year old robin scott who was a mother to a teenage son these ages like really vary too and they also all look very different and their races are all different as well. But see that? So there's like no consistent. The only thing consistent is where they're found because they're all found very close to each mm-hmm. other. They're all sex workers and they all had an addiction to something. Oh, so sad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just they're vulnerable women who are easily yeah. targeted and not taken seriously, unfortunately. So Robin's sister reported her missing to the Grand Rapids police, recounting the last moments they had shared. She last saw Robin as she left at 3 a.m. on January 18, 1995 to go to work on Division Avenue. Now, again, like I said, Division Avenue is very popular mm-hmm. among these women, which from what you're gathering, obviously, is this is a area that women are working. Yep. Robin has never been seen or heard from since then. On June 2nd of 1995, the grim discovery of a fifth woman unfolded as a man venturing out to trap minnows in the Grand River stumbled upon the lifeless body of Pamela Verrill, found beaten to death near Veterans Memorial Drive and River Bend Drive in Walker. Pamela's tragic fate unfolded on the banks of Grand River. Her seven-year-old daughter, Sarah, left to grapple with the trauma, recounted how her mother was murdered, dragged up a hill and across Veterans Memorial Drive near Millennium Park. The 33-year-old mother of three had suffered blunt force trauma to the head. So, so hang on. Her daughter saw this happen or they told her she, this is they, what happened? This is all that okay. was happening. But okay. she was... So according to the man that found her, the fisher, yeah. he saw drag like blood drag marks and he thought it was an animal so he's like oh perfect i can use this animal for bait Mm -hmm. and then when he went to search the area he found her body and reported to the cops Mm -hmm. and unfortunately they went and told her daughter who was only a child that's saying yeah according to a walker police report pamela had been spotted hours before her murder by an attentive um Mako gas station attendant at Hall Street and Division. Again, Division. Division. The attendant reported that she purchased her regular styrofoam cup of coffee and headed towards the street. Now, this obviously indicates she was a regular and yep. came in often and got coffee before her shift. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, Pamela's daughter, pleaded for her mother not to be reduced to a mere statistic, emphasizing that she was more than a stereotype of a prostitute or drug addict. Well, they all are, but unfortunately, especially back during that time, mm-hmm. that's all that they were looked at was, oh, yeah. there's another unfortunately, one. We still see it today, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like, people, we've talked about, like, how do you just dismiss this when they're still a human being? Yeah, like, it like, doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're it's, still a it's person. messed up completely tragically on june 15th 1995 the list of missing women expanded with the disappearance of fonda lockridge at 26 year old with two young children fonda's sister reported her disappearance expressing deep concern as she detailed her sister 
leaving for the store and never returning. Now, this one is a sl slightly different just mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem that she was going to work when she was found or when she disappeared. She was just supposedly going to the store. Fonda's mother later informed the police that her daughter left around 11 p.m. on June 15, 1995, to walk to a party store at Oakdale and Eastern. Conflicting information surfaced in the police report, with Fonda's mother suggesting a nephew saw her daughter at the corner of Hall and Prospect the night of June 16, 1995, so the next day, mm -hmm. during which he then loaned her $5. Now, I I would assume this is true just because why would he lie about that? Yeah, that's not something to lie about. Yeah, it's like it would be a weird thing to lie about. Yeah. So then. Fon and very specific. Yeah. Like, oh, I loaned her $5. He could have just been like, oh, I thought I saw her. Yeah. But he then proceeds to say that he loaned her $5. Fonda Lockridge has not been seen nor heard from since, marking yet another disheartening chapter in this unfolding series of tragedies. And like. I don't know at the time if people were putting together that these all these women were disappearing and being found murdered. I'm not sure. Well, I'm but sure it that seem. the women, I'm sure the, the, the workers. sex workers, the workers, I'm sure they all were like, aware mm, of this it. is yeah. really scary. But yeah, no, I'm sure the police the probably public. weren't making it very public and they no. weren't letting the public know to be kind of like on the lookout. Mm -hmm. So I bet... I mean, I have never even heard of this in all my years of obsessing mm -hmm. over true crime. I've never yeah. heard of something like this. And, I but it makes either. sense why. And it's not that far away. It's not mm -mm. like Grand, Michigan is, Grand Rapids is so close. It's like, what, a three, four hour drive mm -hmm. from us? It's not, it's not that far. No. So it is crazy. Yeah. But I can understand because of the nature of what their you know, mm -hmm. profession was. They weren't well, given much thought. Sex work was so much more taboo than it is now. Yeah. And it's still taboo now, but not nearly not as nearly. much as it was then. Mm -mm. The grim chronicle of disappearances and murders continue to unfold in the 90s, revealing a dark underbelly of Grand Rapids red light district that drew workers from across the state lines. And you have to think, too, this is during a drug epidemic. I mean, this mm -hmm. is when, like, the opioids, like, the whole Oxycontin mm -hmm. thing started happening. So I'm sure... A lot of states, especially like Michigan and Ohio, because it started in like West Virginia, mm -hmm. they were dealing with that too. This oh, yeah. huge drug epidemic. So yeah. I'm sure that, like you said, the workers knew about it, but everyone else was just seeing it as like, oh, they're just part of that drug epidemic. Well, and unfortunately, a lot <laughs> of times they're like, oh, we don't have to worry about them now. They're yep. that. Like cleaning up the streets, a lot of times yeah. you'll hear that, unfortunately. So. Yeah, it, I don't know. It's just, it's really sad because I think if the police were going around expressing this to the workers, you mm -hmm. need to be safe. Like, you're going to do it either way. Yeah. You're going to work either way, yeah. but be safe about it because there's someone out here killing people. Yep. And, and like, what to be on the lookout for. Yeah. And, like, come to them if they see anything. Mm -hmm. But they also, they don't have a relationship with the police, and the police didn't make sure to give off the impression that they care about them yeah. so if they saw something suspicious the last thing they're gonna do is go, is go to the, the police. police yeah and that's where it gets really sad mm -hmm. in july of 1995 34 year old dina dennis and 26 year old kathleen dennis they were both sisters moved to grand rapids enticed by the city's notorious nightlife because apparently it was getting around to other workers in other states mm -hmm. that grand rapids nightlife was really really good you I did could make like good money. And yes. Everything. And yeah. it was a popular mm -hmm. area, I guess. Um, venturing into the notorious track along Division Avenue, 
known for its presence of the working ladies, the sisters became entangled in the dangerous world of sex work to support their families. On a fateful Friday evening, after sharing a few drinks at a local club that they had frequented many times, mm-hmm. kind of it was like a ritual. They would go to the club, have a drink, and then, and then go out they to go. the street. Yeah. The sisters parted ways to begin their night's work. However, when Dina was ready to call it a night, she discovered that her sister was missing. Despite Dina's immediate concern in the official police report of her missing, the Grand Rapids Police, the initial response was very dismissive, treating Kathleen's disappearance as just another case. Yeah. Because, obviously, a lot of women are going missing, and they're kind of just like, what? Whatever. Forced to take matters into their own hands, Dina, her mother, and another sister which aka also Dina's mother and sister came to Michigan to help yeah with her missing obviously they printed tons and tons of flyers and distributed them throughout the town they scoured alleyways and dumpsters they were really just trying to find her anywhere because unfortunately with the life they were living they knew something bad had happened yeah. so that's why obviously they were looking in dumpsters despite their extensive efforts Kathleen Dennis remains missing to this day and unfortunately there's really not much information on really any of these women the only few that there is it's just such limited information that it's yeah and i think that's why people don't know about this case these cases so as the year continues another woman's body was discovered on october 12th of 1995 so we're up to our eighth victim at this point gail cook was 39 years old she was born in new jersey but was living in Hazlitt, Michigan at the time. So Gail was last seen on October 4th of 1995 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Eight days later, Gail Cook was found strangled with a ligature mark in a wooded area near Leonard Street in Grand Rapids. Even though she wasn't living in Grand Rapids, she was traveling there yeah. to be part of the yeah the nightlife. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, Grand Rapids was popping when it came to the sex work nightlife because people were literally traveling just to work there yeah which is i wonder what was happening like it must have been i don't know it just must have been up and coming town like there must have been a lot of people yeah you know um so then on november 17th 1995 the lifeless body of 25 year old dawn shavers body was found in a creek beneath the railroad tracks near ann street and elizabeth avenue dawn was found fully clothed fully clothed but had been strangled and beaten like the other women specifically to her chest and abdomen and head there is very little information on dawn's case other than that but from what i can tell it is still an open case and she's never been found or she's never her killer has never been found the year of 1996 brought further horrors as michelle becker was last seen around April 27th and was discovered in a decomposed state near Kerr Street and Underhill Avenue on August 9th. And then the cause of death, again, was not able to be figured out due mm-hmm. to her being decomposed. Decomposed, yeah. So, unfortunately, with it being such a long amount of time that some of these women went missing and then were found, it's just the name of the game when it comes to evidence and things like that, yeah. unfortunately. Sherry Brown's disappearance on August 6, 1996, was added to the growing panic among the Grand Rapids women. Sherry was last seen on her 33rd 
birthday, her parents went to her apartment with her favorite dessert, a peach cobbler, and her sons to celebrate her birthday. Sherry Brown kissed the boys, told them that she loved them, and then chatted briefly with her father. When he returned to the apartment three days later, the pie was half eaten, and now Sherry was missing, and she was never seen alive again. See, they had lives, they had families, Mm -hmm. they were loved. Almost every single one of them was a single mom. And unfortunately, with their lifestyle and being addicted to whether it was drugs mm-hmm. or alcohol, a lot of them didn't have custody of their children. Yeah, their that, I mean, that parents does did. Sense. Yeah, but they still cared. Yes, yes, and I the just, and the family still cared. Obviously, you know. Yeah. I mean, that that was their baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just you never want your children to go down a path like that because you love them so much and oh, you for only sure. want what's best. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as a as a parent, if that were to happen, I mean, you love your child unconditionally. Unconditionally, yeah. So. When you know, as a child, I would say when I was younger, I would think I would never, if my kids were ever addicted to anything, I would never be there for them because they're choosing to do this. I was so naive and ignorant to it, and then what? weirdly opened my eyes was I read the book Beautiful Boy if you've ever heard Mm -hmm. of it and it's strictly the point of view of the father dealing with his son's addiction his son was addicted to um drugs I think and it was such an eye-opening experience to read this book because it truly shows you how much you love your children and you want the best for them but there's just a different person well even when you watch like intervention you watch Mm -hmm. that show and these families they try to give their bottom lines and it's so difficult for them because their bottom line in their mind is like giving a death sentence to their Mm -hmm. loved one i just i couldn't imagine well they're just not who they're not your child they're they're sick Mm -hmm. you know they need help and i truly believe people will not get sober unless they want the help yeah and sometimes it takes a really long time for that to happen unfortunately but i don't think you can force it on someone no um from what i've seen but yeah i mean these girls are surviving and they're not living they're surviving and they need help and i'm not saying that every sex worker is in dire need of help or anything but i'm talking about the addiction portion of their lives like they needed help and unfortunately couldn't get themselves to get help the help you know mm-hmm. so sherry's skeletal remains were discovered by a couple on july 22nd of 1998 near but butterworth drive that is the best name ever butterworth drive yeah that's hilarious butterworth drive four years passed before she was positively identified through dna though sherry was the mother of two sons and two daughters she became a crack addict and prostitute during the cocaine epidemic which unfortunately seems to be the case mm-hmm. this epidemic really s- screwed a lot of people and it did not help really mm-hmm. anyone well and it's still you going mean, you on still see the effects of it today mm-hmm. yes so then fast forward to september 21st 1996 the body of sonia campos was found 17 days after her disappearance her decomposed state preventing a conclusive cause of death yet again Obviously, September is typically pretty hot, so I'm sure Mm -hmm. she decomposed pretty dang quick. Oh, yeah. The discovery was less than two miles from where Stuart Brown's body would later be found, added to the mounting tragedy. So, we haven't talked about her yet, but two bodies were found, like, within a very close proximity of each other. clearly the workings 
of, of someone, a serial killer. For sure. Yeah. The month of October in 1996 proved especially grim because there was multiple women found very quickly. So Dawn Phillips was found on October 1st, and then Sh uh, Sharon Hammock was on October 3rd. So within two days of each other, they were mm -hmm. found. The circumstances surrounding their deaths remained unclear, underscoring the widespread mystery of what was going on in the city. Now later, I will say Sharon's case does blow up mm -hmm. because of certain things which i will get into later but at the time it was very like not known yeah. of what was going on then on october 13th 1996 the lifeless body of 39 year old cheryl mason was found in some brush behind a business near ina avenue cheryl's mom reported her missing nine days before being discovered when she missed her daughter's birthday cheryl had six kids but unfortunately mm -hmm. due to her lifestyle none of them lived with her at the time of her murder mm -hmm. the wave of violence continues and I, we're almost done i know this is a lot of information at one time but i just felt like these women deserved at least a small spotlight of yep like more than just listing their names yes like they deserve to be talked be, about yeah yes and more than just their addiction mm -hmm. yes the lives that they had yes i agree so victoria moore's murder on october 27th of 1996 was on 20 mill road northwest of kent city so her last known sighting again occurred on august 1st of 96 in grand rapids michigan so she was last seen in grand rapids again so most of all these women were either seen or found in grand rapids mm -hmm. the last time they were alive the haunting of the missing women reached its peak and then seemingly stopped abruptly on Halloween of 96, which is super random and weird. That is really weird. I, I, there's no really obviously reason, but that's just when it stopped. But then, unfortunately, the remains of Stephanie Judson was then found July 31st of 97. Now, these killings and disappearances were mostly from until 96, so I included this one because even though she was found in 97, she went missing in 96. Okay. So she was found on a roadside park east of Ada. A maintenance worker found her remains and the medical examiner ruled her death a homicide. Stephanie was 31 and it was originally from Benton Harbor and moved to Grand Rapids in the late 80s. So when Stephanie was found, her identity was unknown for years. Detective Walter said that she likely died sometime between March and August of 96. So, like I said, she was missing in 96 mm -hmm. and probably died around then. Just unfortunately wasn't found she wasn't for years. Found. Okay. Or for a year. They were assuming, because like I said, they did not know her ID or identity. identity. Mm -hmm. So, they assumed that she was a lower economic background due to her teeth. Yeah, She had very sense. low dental care. Mm -hmm. um, her teeth were unfortunately messed up, which also could indicate an addiction. Yeah. Uh, she was later, though, identified through DNA testing with the DNA Doe Project, which is a project where all of the unknown women's DNA goes into, but mm -hmm. they just don't have anything to relate it to, so they can't figure out who they are. So due to that, they were able to figure out who she was. So then police had worked for years to identify the remains and finally were able to come forward and have an identity for her. So over three years, 17 women faced an ultimately demise with their bodies scattered in woods, roadside locations across Kent, Muskegon, and Ottawa counties. Now these are all together, like they're all next to each other. And strikingly, the last known locations of nine of the 13 women who died were confined to Division Avenue, which is absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. 
emphasizing the disturbing pattern that how are these not related? Yeah, no, they definitely are. And the police are not saying they're related. Still to this day, they're not saying. Which is like, come on. Even if they all were murdered differently or they Mm -hmm. had different, it's still too, there's too many close together and too many. Mm -hmm. I just, the fact that they all were struggling with addiction and they all had turned to sex work to feed their addiction or like fund their lifestyle. I just, there's no possible way. There's no way they're not related. Yeah. Of the 17 women, six were black and 11 were white. So that just proves it's odd because it's not like the killer was sticking with a race or a type of women. They all look different. Their ages were all different. Like it's just, it was strictly opportunity, vulnerability, and their work in lifestyle. They knew that it wouldn't get looked into, Mm -hmm. these women. Or taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Investigations into these tragic incidents were dispersed among five police agencies which is never a good situation when it no. comes to something that is a pattern or a reoccurring situation the muskegon and walker being the only two police departments that share details together only two of them out of five i see i i don't like that because i especially back like in the 90s even before then i feel like police departments it was just they have egos mm-hmm. and they're very like, well, I'm going to keep this information to myself here at my department because I want to solve this case. I'm not going to yeah. give it to you for you to solve and get all the credit. Exactly. It's like goodness. It's like these are people's Work lives. It doesn't, together. who cares? Right. As long as it's solved, who effing cares? Like you're all going to get credit mm-hmm. if you work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, act- it's actually insane. And it's like it's only harming you. You having a cold case yes. doesn't look good on your whatever it is. I don't know what it... Well, just, it doesn't, just doesn't look good for the department. The, yeah. the fact that you kind of ignored when it happened, you were ignoring that all these women were being murdered and that you were finding their bodies or they were missing. You have you clearly have a serial killer on your hands and the mm-hmm. fact that you're not even... Like, you don't have to scream it from the rooftops, but the fact that you aren't trying to connect them connect or it. anything yeah make a relationship with the sex workers try to determine if there's like if a they've seen something if they've, they've seen something yeah like you're not even showing them that you care i just mm-hmm. mm, no it's don't crazy like that <laughs> yeah it's very like put your ego sad. away it's like what are you doing these are women who are being murdered in your city and you well, are doing nothing yeah. and it's it's so horrible too because you know that some of the police officers were probably just like, I'm not even going to waste a second on this mm-hmm. because I hate to say it, but I bet you there are people that are like, well, they got what was coming to them. Like that's 100%. what they get for living the lifestyle they were living. And that's yeah. where you just say, I hope that never happens to you. I hope you're never on the other end of that because my goodness, that's not like say that to their loved ones faces mm-hmm. and yeah. then, and then just, see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's terrible and really, really sad. So, among the victims, only one case has confirmed the presence of the alleged killer's DNA, leading to an arrest. The disheartening tale of these women, their lives cut short, remains etched in the darkness of Grand Rapids history. An unresolved and haunting mystery that still to this day has not been solved or is even being looked into from what I can tell. Like I said, there's very, very little information on these cases. In some of them, when I tell you there's not a single article about them, there is not a single thing about them other than they were found 
murdered or they're still missing. And I'm telling you, that is literally the only only sentence that you will find about them. That's which cool. is why there's some of these I had a little bit more information and there's others I had no information. It's freaking heartbreaking because, like we said, these are people's lives and they're forgotten. Mm -hmm. They really are forgotten or they've never be, been even heard of. Because I went on to Web Sleuths like we always do and yeah. things like that. And there's people that have like grown up in Grand Rapids and they've never even heard of it. And they freaking live there. Well, it's like people work so hard not to try and like muddy the waters and mm -hmm. to try and they like to make it think, oh, look at Grand Rapids, so shiny and perfect. Mm -hmm. And they don't want that to be something that gets like carried along with the history of their little town. I just, I don't know. I think up. it's terrible. Yeah, it is. With this, I will end it as part one. I will do a part two just because you, you get a lot of information with all the victims. There's 17 mm -hmm. women that went missing. I didn't feel the... I didn't feel like it was doing them justice by just naming them and yeah. saying their similarities. I felt like I should try and do some research on them and see what happened to them for obvious reasons because they deserve it. They're human beings. They're women that are being forgotten, unfortunately. So... With that, I will end it with part one. Next week, we will do part two. Highly recommend, obviously, listening to both, but um, especially part one. So if you have any information about the deaths or disappearances of the 17 women, their families hope that you'll share it with the Silent Observer, which is, I've never heard of this until this case, so I don't know if this is specifically to mm -hmm. these cases, but um, you can go online and submit a tip anonymously, oh, okay. or you can call them. And the phone number is 616-774-2343. And it's, like I said, in relation to these cases. So it's something the police department has set up, which I would say is good, but I think you can do more. Um, or you can call Grand Rapids Police Department at 616-456-3400. You can also go online to their tips website, which is p3tips.com or you can go on Grand Rapids Police Department's website. It's right there. It's very easy. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the pod. We truly appreciate it. Again, Happy New Year. Hope everyone has a safe and healthy year. Mm -hmm. It is 2024. How can we even believe that? Because what the actual hell? It doesn't Can you even like believe it. that 2020 was four years ago? COVID. Yeah, COVID. Epidemic was, I mean, it's still happening. People yes, start getting but COVID. Like, but the, the beginning of COVID was four, four years, years ago. ago. What the actual heck? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So if you would so kindly, please follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. You can also join in on the discussion board, Crime Connections Podcast Discussion Board. We discuss the cases that we're talking about or really anything you guys want to talk about. It's kind of open for discussion as long as it's appropriate, obviously. Um, if you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into, please feel free to email or DM us. We love hearing from you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks.